Stay hungry, stay foolish. So now on the Innovation Show, we welcome Quincy Larson, founder of Free Code Camp. Welcome to the show, Quincy. Thanks for having me, Aiden. It's, it's really good to meet you, man. I found out about you through some awesome blog posts on Medium, and it's only part of the pie, which is Free Code Camp. So before, we're going to focus on privacy and VPNs and why we need VPNs in this world and why we need to protect our privacy more and more. That's going to be the focus of the show. But before we go there... Let's talk about Free Code Camp, which you founded. Sure. So we we started Free Code Camp about about two years ago, and it's a free online open source school where you can come and learn programming and learn uh, web development, and you can do it all interactively right in your browser. We have about twelve hundred hours worth of interactive coding tutorials where you're actually coding right in the browser, and then we also uh, do work for nonprofits. We, we ourselves are a nonprofit, and we build open source projects for other nonprofits, food bank management apps, little league management apps, apps for conferences. So we build these tools for nonprofits to be able to use, and we have about a million students. I love that, man. So it's, it's kind of like a Wikipedia model almost. It's uh, harnessing the power of the crowd, but they're actually learning from their, their process of helping. Absolutely. And Wikipedia is a huge influence on how we've structured Free Code Camp and a lot of our long-term goals. Yeah, man. So what's your background then? So what, what inspired you to get into this? I worked as a teacher and as a school director for about a decade. And toward the end of my time doing that, I started to realize how much of what I was doing could partially be automated. I was spending so much time uh, in front of a computer just entering data I had a big staff of like 25 administrators and teachers that I managed and and they were spending a lot of time just inputting stuff into computers and I I just kind of started tinkering with programming and I figured out a few ways to to really automate some of these more tedious things that were really uh, routine that that teachers were doing constantly and that freed the teachers up to spend more time interacting with the students which is really what it's all about it's not about going and doing grade reports and immigration paperwork and stuff like that. It's about the students. So um, once I got a taste of how much automation could do, I just started programming um, as much as I could and, and basically locked myself in a room with a bunch of books and a bunch of online courses and just spent like really a year or two programming and getting good at it. And then during that process, I realized how hard it was to program and how hard it was to learn to program. And that's when I decided that I wanted to make a tool so other people could do that and other people could access this power that is uh, programming ability. Nice, man. So you, you became your own best customer and solved your own problem. This yeah. is exactly the tool that I wish had existed when I was learning to program. Oh, that's beautiful, man. That's so common on this show when we talk to entrepreneurs and founders that they could not find what they needed and therefore went out and created that and created a beautiful product as a result. Let's move on to um, privacy because this is how I found you. I, I saw a great post you wrote on Medium, which is, as I mentioned, only part of the pie, which is Free Code Camp. But 
it led me down a rabbit hole into a lot more of your blog posts. And um, the the post was on why you need why we all need a VPN, particularly because of some recent uh, congressional law that's been passed. So let's let's go into that, man, because that I suppose that's the catalyst. But we always did need a VPN anyway, because uh, as one of the great quotes you, you mentioned in, in one of your blog posts, putting our privacy in the hands of the government is like asking a peeping Tom to install the blinds on our houses. <laughs> I thought that absolutely nailed it, man. So can we talk about that and the, the law that was passed? Yeah. So in the US, um, we have historically had these very powerful monopolies. Um, they're certainly local monopolies. Um, they're called, um, like internet service providers and they provide here in the U S, uh, we use a cable modem. Uh, so we plug into fixed line broadband and then we use, uh, satellites and cell cell towers to be able to access the internet on our phones. And all of those, all those internet providers really, it's just a handful of powerful monopolies, um, Three major corporations, uh, Comcast, which controls 56% of all high-speed internet in the United States, um, and then AT&T and Verizon, which used to be the same company, but they, they got split up into two companies. But together, they control uh, two-thirds of the wireless internet in the United States. And, and they're extremely profitable corporations. They, they make tens of billions of dollars a year in after-tax profits. And they have the most powerful lobby probably in Congress. They, they have supported pretty much every candidate. They've given them money. They've uh, paid to help them campaign. And they've uh, paid to run ads um, for these uh, politicians. So what we really have is a situation where a very small number of companies have captured a very broad cross-section of our legislatures. It's a phenomenon economists would call regulatory capture. And as a result, the uh, telecom lobby, the internet service providers, are able to force through a whole lot of laws that are really bad for the everyday citizen. Um, and this most recent instance, uh, basically there's something called the congressional review act. It's something, it's a special procedure that was only created in the nineties and it's, it had only been used successfully once. Uh, but now that we have a new, uh, president and now that we have a, um, Congress that's dominated by Republicans, uh, well, the Republicans, have all been received a whole lot of money from these ISPs. So they're fulfilling the ISPs agenda. And one of the things that the ISPs wanted to do was the FCC, the government body that regulates internet service providers had created this law that basically would have come into effect within uh, the next few months. And it would have prevented internet service providers from being able to, sell their customers data now keep in mind their customers are every single american because we don't have a choice like all of us are basically if we want to get on the internet we have to use one of these handful of monopolies to be able to do so in a vast majority of america there's only one option for high-speed internet 
Yeah, you you were saying in in, in the, some of the posts that the corporations want to lock down the internet and give us access access to only a few walled gardens. So basically, they control the gate, the gateway to it. And you mentioned as well, like so, this is history repeating itself. It's happened with the telegram, the telephone, cinema, radio, television, and they've all followed the same story, which is inventors discover the technology, hobbyists pioneer the applications for the technology. Corporations take notice all of a sudden. They commercialize it, refine it, scale it. And once the corporations are powerful enough, they trick government into helping them lock the technology down and they create these monopolies, which we're seeing today. And then we're in a place where we're actually stuck and our gateway is we're monitored in every little action we have on the internet. And suddenly it's a closed garden, not the open internet that it began with. You've given us some great tips on how to protect ourselves, I suppose, as citizens when we want to go online. Could we get into that, Quincy, and talk about some of the tips you've given us? It's, it's worth noting that like these are generally best practices, as you said. You want to use encryption. Uh, so encryption is basically just taking any sort of transmission and scrambling it so that anybody who's in between the person who's sending the message and the person who's receiving the message, if they were to like intercept that message, it would just be uh, scrambled noise there they wouldn't be able to figure out what the contents were so uh, with encryption you're basically just scrambling something and then you have a key that you can use to to open it or the party that's receiving the message has a key that they can use to unscramble um, the message so uh, one of the most common tools that we use on the web for encryption is HTTPS so when whenever you go to a website for example for the longest time, everything would just be HTTP colon slash slash www.google.com or whatever. But uh, recently, more and more websites have adopted HTTPS, and that means that the transmissions will be secured with the uh, TLS protocol, which is a form of encryption that's, that's very secure and, to our knowledge, hasn't been cracked. So um, by making sure that you use websites that use HTTPS and not inputting any sensitive data into a form for a website that doesn't have HTTPS, um, you can you can really secure yourself. That goes a long way. And there's an uh, there's a an extension for both Chrome, Firefox, and for Opera um, that allows you to it makes sure that you're only using websites that have HTTPS and it will uh, warn you if you try to visit a website that doesn't have HTTPS implemented. Um, it's called HTTPS Everywhere, and that, that was built by the Electronic Fa- Frontier Foundation, which is a privacy advocacy group here in the United States. And then um, you can also encrypt your computer. Um, this, this isn't related to the Internet service providers, but it is something that I recommend everybody do. Both Windows and uh, Mac OS have a built-in full-disk encryption system. Oh. Uh, it comes free with the operating system. I think it's called BitLocker okay. on um, Windows, and it's called FileVault on uh, on Mac OS. Just go and turn that on. And, of course, use a good, secure password. Don't forget the password, because if you do, you literally <laughs> can't. It's, you're never going to see the data again if you forget that password. But um, you should absolutely use that. I have a Mac in front of me here. Is, is it FileVault an app in the, in, in the App Store? The Mac App Store, it's, or is it? It's already installed. Oh, right, so okay. if you just 
you just open up your spotlight or whatever and yeah. type file vault, you should pull it up and, and you should definitely turn it on. Um, it's the low-hanging fruit in terms of protecting yourself. That way, the second you close your computer, oh, and your computer should be password protected. I think that's a requirement for a file vault. But yeah. um, the second you close your computer, like it doesn't matter who gets a hold of it. They won't be able to access any of your files um, as long as you close your computer and it's locked. Um, and even if they were to take the hard drive out, there's nothing they could do to it, really. It's It would take, you know, trillions of years, quadrillions of years <laughs> to be able to crack it with conventional existing technology. So it, basically, for all intents and purposes, it's currently unhackable. Okay, man. So so I'm just going to going to retrace the steps now so so first thing to do is is maybe download like opera as a browser because that has a vpn i'm pretty savvy but there's stuff in there that i just did not know like even five volt uh, you know when you see these things you don't know what they are like you, you, so you get offered them sometimes and you kind of go well they're just trying to sell me advertising or that's going to be supported or they're just trying to sell me this piece of software you don't know what they actually do as a user so it's really helpful what you're telling us here yeah, so so if you want to browse the web securely, so so this CR this Congressional Review Act, um, basically the Republican House and the Republican Senate, and it was just the Republicans, by the way. It's worth noting, like pretty much every, I think every single Democrat in both the Senate and the House voted against this law. Uh, but basically, the government uh, repealed the protections, so n- now um, internet service providers can freely sell all of your web data to anyone. And that includes your web browsing data, that includes any data they've intercepted. Um, In theory, they were just going to sell it to advertisers so that advertisers can target you more effectively. But um, there's no reason to think that they'll stop with just selling it to advertisers because I'm sure a lot of governments and a lot of other corporations would love to buy that. And even perhaps private citizens would like to buy their neighbor's internet browsing history. I mean, who knows what kind of crazy, creepy things can go on. Uh, There's nothing to protect American citizens from that sort of stuff anymore. Um, So I absolutely recommend everybody go out and get a VPN, a virtual private network. And basically that will um, mask your traffic um, so that your internet service provider won't know where you're going and they won't be able to sell that data to anyone. Yeah. So what... So ju- just because the places you see encryption already are places like WhatsApp and Facebook and those kind of social networks, they do it naturally, don't they? Yes. Although it's worth pointing out that um, Facebook can read your, your messages. If you have WhatsApp and it's properly configured, then it's encrypted from end to end, meaning that only the user who sends the message and the user who receives the message, those are the only two people on earth who can actually read that message. And there's an excellent app also called Signal, um, which is, which has end-to-end encryption. It, it uses the same technology that WhatsApp uses. And uh, that's an excellent instant messenger. And you can even make encrypted phone calls with that. Um, it's free. It's just right. called Sig- Signal. You can get it in the Android and Apple app stores. My wife, if we're sharing the credit card number, for example, one of us had forgotten the credit card, whatever, we would use WhatsApp because we understood this, what you're saying, that the encryption is on. So it's much safer than sending a text message that you wouldn't send it via text because that could be hacked because that's not encrypted. Am I right in saying that? Yes, that's correct. And when you use WhatsApp, just make sure that you've got the double check mark thing. Yeah. Um, 
because it's possible to use WhatsApp without these messages being encrypted. Like it'll let you continue to use WhatsApp even if the uh, even if the encryption isn't properly in place. So just double check when you use WhatsApp. Signal doesn't allow you to use it. It prevents you from using it if it isn't encrypted. So that's one nice advantage of sing- Signal is that it's kind of idiot proof, so to speak. Yeah. If you happen to forget or if you change your phone or do something like that and you don't send the new keys over to the other party, um, it'll make sure that you do before you start um, messaging. Gotcha. gotcha. And so, so I've, I've actually I'm doing this as I'm, I'm, uh, I'm <laughs> as we're talking, man. I've, I've installed HTTPS everywhere. Um, so I've done that. Opera is set up right. Then I'll get Signal. That's the next thing. Use WhatsApp for more sensitive text or, or pr- private text that are encrypted. Make sure both sides are encrypted. But there's more than so the VPN. So VPN is built into Opera, which I thought was really helpful because when I went looking for a VPN before, and there's such a choice there, and the, the choice. You don't know what you're getting, man. You know, you're going and you're looking and you're kind of going, one's $40 a year, the other one's $80. And you kind of go, you're totally lost as a, a punter like me who doesn't know much about this. Yeah. Well, in my article, I linked to um, uh, this website that has a good spreadsheet where you can compare all the different VPN features. Um, at the end of the day, unfortunately, you just have to trust the VPN company. You have to trust that they're not selling your data or doing anything malicious with it. Because there's no way to know. Um, you, so it's a question of whether you trust the, the VPN company, which is paid to you know, be trustworthy, basically. The only reason you're using it is because of the, the understood that they're not going to do anything malicious with your data and that they're going to protect your privacy. Um, or you can just you know, trust the internet service providers who publicly stated that they want to be able to sell this data and they spent, you know, tens, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars lobbying to be able to repeal these laws so they can sell this data. Um, it's kind of an unfortunate situation because VPNs, which um, you mentioned Opera, and I talk about it in my article, but if you install Opera, you can turn on, Opera has a great built-in ad blocker. Ads actually are a big security risk, um, and you know ads can spy on you. So if you block the ads, they can't spy on you. Um, Opera has a built-in uh, ad blocker and it has the built-in free VPN where you can, you know, if you want to surf from Singapore or Australia or wherever, you can just configure it to do that. Yeah. So, um, so on that, Quincy. Do, so do you, you like I? I just with the VPN, just turn it on, but I don't. I don't. I just put on optimal location. Is that the best thing to do? Because sometimes you go with a location and it's much slower. So you know, again, for somebody not knowing what they're doing here, what do you recommend? Yeah. Just leave it on auto, but one one actual this isn't really a security benefit, but this is just a, a cool thing about using a VPN is in some countries like so, certain content will be blocked. Um, maybe it'll be blocked because the government wants to block it. Maybe it'll be blocked because like a corporation doesn't have a license to show the like let's say like some music will be blocked outside of a certain country because um, the license that they purchased for that music only covers a specific territory. So sometimes you can you can change your location through the VPN and then suddenly those things will be come available to you. Gotcha. So you can pretend you're in the US if you need to, for example, or you can pretend you're in Asia if you need to. Yeah. So for like stuff like Netflix people would often do that. I, I'm not saying that obviously on the radio, but that is what people do. 
<laughs> so I'm just I'm just having a look, right? So stuff like autofill and auto password fill. What's your what's your take on those kind of things? Or is it okay to leave those on? So, auto, so if you, form autofill, excuse me. Yeah, so I strongly recommend turning off your browser's form autofill. Um, there has been like this security vulnerability that's existed for like years. And basically, um, people can, uh, like the website can use this code to like pull all the data out of your autocomplete if your autocomplete is on. So even if you're not inputting your address or whatever, they can get your address. Um, so even though it's a little bit more typing, I recommend not using uh, your browser's autocomplete, uh, especially Chrome. I don't know about the other browsers. They may have fixed this, but I know currently Chrome has not fixed it. So I would turn off your browser's autocomplete and just type things manually. You can get a password manager, which uh, password managers are pretty secure. Um, and that reduces the likelihood of you. Uh, the main danger with passwords, if I, if I want to get into that, is basically that you'll use the same password on multiple websites. So for example, Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Facebook, used the same password um, for Yahoo that he used for LinkedIn and for um, Twitter. And it was just da, 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 like D-A, D-A, D-A. That was his password. I guess it's easy to type or something. Yeah. But, um, but so when Yahoo got breached, um, they were able to like go through and find his email address and then they were able to find the password he'd previously used. And they just went and tried that password and email combination on all these different websites. And that's how they got into his Twitter account and stuff. Using the same password on multiple websites is dangerous because, uh, you know, there's a, the, the, uh, CEO of Cisco, uh, the router company famously said there are only two types of companies, those who have been hacked and those who don't yet know they've been hacked. Yeah. Yeah, it's true, man. And I was telling you before I saw a ghost in the shell, um, and man, I tell you, it, it, it's a great movie to understand where, what's possible, you know, what, where things can go, because like they literally have a police force that can look into buildings, track everything, listen to everything. And you can see, when you, when you can actually visualize it and be immersed in it, you can see how far this can possibly go. And that, therefore, like, because pe people think this isn't happening, but it is. And because it's profitable, and like you really well done, framed the, the reasons why people have done this and the commercial reasons and the benefits, but also th that it's history repeating itself, it's going to happen again. So all we're doing here is actually letting people know some, some simple things they can do to protect their privacy in the future. Signing in for, for Chrome, for example, so you know the way you can sign into browsers so you can have them open across multiple devices, for example. So, But that while that's a little bit easy for you so it makes life a little bit easier it also knits together all your data across multiple devices as well what's your take on that one well um it's hard to it, there's there's always this trade-off this tension between uh security and convenience um and it's convenient to be able to just grab my phone and have everything synced to my phone from my laptop for example um at the same time you know it, if and I'm locking my phone, which is encrypted, like any mobile phone you've bought, like any smartphone you've bought in the last three or four years should have good 
encryption turned on by default, you should double check. Um, and then, uh, you know, like I said, I use uh, File Vault on my Mac, so it's encrypted. So um, in theory, uh, even if somebody got a hold of one of these physical devices, they'd still have to, I mean, they basically would have to guess my code in order to get in, which is not going to happen uh, realistically. So um, so that that's okay. Um, but just by virtue of like signing in um, with with let's say you use Google, you use Gmail, or you have a Google uh, account that basically your your mail and like all your other accounts related to Google are logged into this. Um, if you do use uh, Gmail, for example, then if you think about it, your email is your is the skeleton key to your entire life. Yeah. If somebody gets access to your email address, they can go and they can reset the passwords to whatever they want. Like passwords themselves are kind of silly because at the end of the day, everybody has a reset password button. So in order – like people don't have to guess your password. They just have to be able to get into your email account and then they can reset your password. Oh, yeah. You don't so, think of these things actually, you know? That's what security people do. They they sit around and, and think about how these systems can be defeated and what the weak link is. And and they've definitely uh, converged on this notion that you know your email password needs to be super robust, needs to be super secure. So if you're signing into like casually signing into a whole bunch of devices and they're not properly secured, if any of those devices were compromised, somebody got a hold of it physically they would be able to go into your email account and that's when they can start resetting your bank accounts, your investment accounts, um, your, you know, healthcare related, um, accounts, pretty much anything like name a nightmare scenario. And there's probably a way that they can get into that account with access to your email address. Yeah. And, and, and when you think about like, say even ad fraud, so display advertising fraud versus bank fraud, it's, it's much easier because, Obviously, security and banks, they've been aware of being robbed for years, but people don't often think of the fraud that goes on online, and it's a multi-million or billion even dollar industry now, where you know somebody can hire a load of hackers and then make a lot of money off online fraud. And it's only a matter of time that before they come to us, so they come to the actual user because they've exhausted the possibilities of fraud elsewhere. And the other thing I always think about is this other force that's happening in the background, which is there's more and more data online. And we think stuff like Moore's Law and, and IoT, so Internet of Things, and everything's getting more connected, that there's going to be a hell of a lot more data available. So therefore, it's going to shift a lot of more talent, I suppose, if you want to call it that, to the fraud game. And therefore, we're going to have to be a, a hell of a lot more safer with, with our own security with, with the advice you're giving us here. What's your take on that? Oh, well, precisely what you said. Uh, and, the, and the sad thing is people are, the incentives to become, to join the dark side and hack people as opposed to helping them other people secure themselves, right? Like basically we kind of think of it as white hat hackers versus black hat hackers. Black hat hackers want to maliciously attack systems. White hat hackers want to figure out ways to defend them. Uh, so, if you look at like how much Apple will pay you for a bug bounty if you discover some security vulnerability, um, if you discover a security vulnerability and you submit it to Apple, maybe they'll give you $5,000, maybe they'll give you $10,000. There are websites on the internet where people will pay a million dollars 
to find out how to ha- how to like get through an uh, iPhone lock screen, for example. Yeah. A million dollars because that you know the the FBI just paid a ton of money to uh, some Israeli um, hacking uh, security company that had figured out how to get past the iPhone uh, security wow. screen so so they could unlock uh, like a, a criminal's um, iPhone. Wow. So- um, and, and the other thing I'll point out is the NSA in the U.S., the National Security Administration, yeah. is spending 90% of its budget on hacking other people and only 10% of its budget on protecting Americans. It's like a hugely, uh, you know, lopsided. Everybody's erring on the side of attacking, 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 and not enough people are working to defend. One of the things I want to urge people is to not try to worry too much about little details. 99% of problems can be solved by just a few basic things. You know, encrypt your hard drive. Use HTTPS. Use a password manager or come up with unique passwords for every website. Don't reuse the same password. If you get those low-hanging fruit, you're going to be quite secure. And unless you're like some sort of MVP uh, that everybody wants to go and um, hack or something like that, like a VIP, there's a very good chance that most people are just not going to throw the kind of resources at you to actually (laughs) go past your basic safeguards. The the average citizen can be reasonably secure with just – I've got an article that I would recommend if if people are more curious about this. It's called How to Encrypt Your Life in Less Than an Hour. And I think that it it puts forth a few very basic things that you can do to secure yourself. And um, that's the name of the game. It's just securing yourself enough. You don't need to embrace an entire new uh, cypherpunk lifestyle to be able to be reasonably <laughs> secure. There will always be that people who do want to take things to the next level, and they're gonna they're gonna quit using Google completely, for example, or they're gonna quit using Facebook completely uh, because it makes them more vulnerable, or something like that. Yeah. Or um, you know, people who will only uh, exchange messages with PGP keys or something like that. But I think for the reasonable everyday citizen who doesn't have time to do all those things. Uh, by just doing some a few low hanging fruit um, things, you can you can be reasonably safe. Nice man, you, you, they're gonna they're gonna find me right in a bunker, a nuclear bunker out in my back garden with a tin foil hat on, and they're gonna go, what What are you doing down here? Gonna Quincy told me. Quincy told me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't be don't be that guy with the tin foil hat in the bunker. Just be like a normal everyday person who happens to have reasonable security in place <laughs> nice one man listen quincy it's been a pleasure talking to you and i urge people to check out your blog where can people find you uh i'm on twitter ossia is my handle open source software is awesome uh if you go to twitter.com slash ossia you can follow me there and that has links to medium uh where i write quite actively it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, and thank you for your time and your advice. You know, a lot of our listeners will be wearing tin foil hats thanks to you in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Quincy Larson, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So now on the Innovation Show, it's a great honor to welcome Anthony O'Callaghan, Director of Analytics and Artificial Intelligence with Johnson Controls and Vice Chair of IT at Corp. Welcome to the show, Anthony. Hi, Ian. 
Good to Thank have you. you. Let's let's talk about IT at Cork first before we talk about the event that's coming up in a couple of weeks. Let's let's focus on that and what the job is of IT at Cork. Sure. Um, so in IT at Cork is a, a non-profit technology focused organization in the south of Ireland. It's the largest one in existence. This year is actually our, our 20th year. And I suppose the the organization represents over 200 member companies um, working in the region. The, the sole purpose of the organization is to foster collaboration amongst our member companies, essentially. And we do that through a number of, let's say, events that we will arrange uh, arrange throughout the year, such as uh, our kind of Tech Thursday series, our upcoming um, annual Tech Summit, and also we have our Leaders Awards as well. So the Tech Thursdays, what would you do on that, for example? So we, we run a number of um, events kind of, I suppose, profiling our, our member our, our member companies. So, for example, let's say two weeks ago, we had we held an event in um, the, the teamwork offices in Cork um, profiling kind of what they what their business is about. But we'll also hold um, summits on specialist topics such as artificial intelligence. We held one a number of weeks ago on the future of work, um, which will fe- feature a panel of speakers from from, again, our, our kind of member companies. Um, so the, the, the topics are, are quite broad um, and the attendance is has been very good as well over the, the I suppose, over the year. And um, the attendance has been getting better and better at these at these events. Um, and I think it's all down to the, the topics that we're selecting are, are very prevalent at the moment as well. Brilliant. And there, there's been a, a nice little theme in the innovation show. We've had uh, one of your previous members, Ron Murphy, of smart tech on the show and he kind of handed the baton over to yourself and you have a new announcement as well so a new chair to the team absolutely um yeah so i, I heard um i suppose ronan's uh you know ronan has featured on, on your show a, a number of times right so i've been kind of listening into um to the podcast uh regularly um yeah, so Ronan was our chairman for the for the last two years and, and did an unbelievable job um, for the organization and, and kind of really building the profile of the organization. So um, this week we held our, our AGM um, and at that AGM, Caroline O'Driscoll of, of KPMG was elected as our new chairwoman. Brilliant. So Car- Caroline's in um, at chair and your vice chair then. And, and you, you mentioned, so you do the Thursday talks, you profile the companies, you basically raise the profile of all these local companies around Cork. But then this annual event, which is coming up shortly, and it's right in the sweet spot for you, of course, which is your artificial intelligence love and with your job in Johnson Controls. And there's a lot of a focus on AI at that event. Can we talk about the event and some of the speakers sure. that you have lined up, Anthony? Yeah, so I, I suppose when we, we're running this event, as I said, annually. Um, and this year we selected, I suppose, some of the hottest teams in, in tech. Um, so we broke the event up into, into three sections. Um, it's over a, a single day. Um, and those sections are artificial intelligence, um, health tech and the future of work. Um, so as I said, you know, three very um, hot themes um, in, in the tech sector today. Um, in terms of the, the profile of speakers or the companies that we have in attendance, I, I suppose it's it's lining up to be a very um, impressive lineup. And um, we have, you know, companies such as, as Salesforce, we have Infosys, we have Accenture, KPMG, and um, to name a few, also represented by um, government bodies like the IDA. Um, and then we also have uh, the academic sector. So let's say from speakers um, coming from UCC, et cetera, as well. Um, so kind of giving that kind of broad um spectrum of of uh industry experts i would say all coming with their own um with their own viewpoint 
Um, what we're also doing this year um, is we're, we're introducing some speakers from a customer facing perspective, right? So I suppose we we have, you know, a, a great speaker called Nigel Ackland um, coming to the event as well, um, who's pioneering um, one of the, the most advanced um, artificial intelligence um, uh, bionic or the world's most advanced artificial arm, sorry, um, this year as well, right? So kind of giving that spin from a from a customer's perspective as well, right, on the the, the impact that technology has on his has had on his life. Brilliant, brilliant. Because that, that's one of the things you know, and it's you've heard some of the shows before that we did on AI in particular, and you know, a lot of this is about enhancing the human role to make sure. to make us focus on. I suppose the bigger picture rather than the actual doing of the job and we're yeah. going to hand that rote task or that linear task over to the AI. That's the goal yeah. here, not to hand the entire job over to the AI and then start reading newspapers. <laughs> and Absolutely. Ironically, Absolutely. where the AIs are replacing newspapers anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah I, I guess, you know, even even in my day-to-day job, I, I, I get this question every single time um, and it's it's a topic that you know, pops up on on any discussion related to AI is, you know, is is AI going to take over the world? Is it going to replace all our jobs? And, and my view on this is is very simple. I think that AI is is very much around, let's say, complementing um the employee and and you know helping them to get the analysis faster and kind of raise their raise their profile, let's say, within their own job to a higher level. And um, so it's not about replacing the employee it's around enabling enabling them to do their job better um i mean i'm sure let's say as we advance down the ai path in a number of years it it will replace roles for sure but i think where we're at right now it's certainly around um empowering rather than replacing i would say and and that's that's one of the key themes that you know we want to address in in the summit is around how companies, you know, like Johnson Controls, like the EMCs at the world, et cetera, how they can start to embrace AI um, in a very practical way as well and get started. Yeah, because it, it, it sees things that we don't see. I, like, I, I remember I saw the movie The Big Short. I don't know if you've seen it. Fantastic yeah. book yeah. and movies. The thing I thought was really interesting was the main character's focus. And I know he had Asperger's, but Asperger's gives you this gift of extreme focus when you pick what you want to focus upon. And it was his ultra focus to spot not only the the gaps, I suppose, in in, lend, in the, the lending, but then the gaps within the gaps. And Absolutely. that really dawned on me as a kind of an analogy for AI, because that's what AI will do. Machine learning will do that. It will spot those things that, uh, if, you, if you will, the human brain won't spot. The normal Absolutely. human brain won't spot. People obviously gifted with Asperger's will see those things if they if they choose to, but the rest of us won't. And even somebody yeah. who's an expert in their job won't see things the same way as machines or AI will see them. Yeah, and I, I think that's kind of one of the areas. Well, let's say that's certainly one of the areas that that we're seeing the the the, the best use cases for AI. It's it's definitely speeding up the analysis, right? And, and one of the easiest um, or one of the best applications I've seen of, of AI is in the field of cybersecurity. Um, so, you know, as, as you're seeing yourself, the number of threats are increasing um, on, a, on a daily basis, right? And I suppose we have we have a limited um, number of, you know, people to focus on the, the threats and to be able to separate the noise into real events, right? So if you can introduce something like AI there um, to speed up the, the analysis on what's a real threat or, or what's just noise, and then I suppose route the real threats to somebody that can, that can take action, 
I, I think let's say in those kind of scenarios, AI is it, it's just a, it's just a match made in heaven. Um, and that can also be applied, let's say, w- within the enterprise as well, from a, you know, from a supply chain perspective, from a financial perspective, you know, if, across the board, um, we're seeing applications of, of AI. It's for us, it's certainly moved beyond the traditional application of applying AI within enterprise IT. The, the focus for us right now is kind of pushing AI back into the business and, and using AI to solve those complex um issues that that normally would require an an army of people but we can now take that army of people and apply them to focus on much bigger problems Um, so ai for us is really around kind of speeding up the analysis and and separating the noise from the real important events i would say yeah exactly and and we had dennis mortison and say regular listeners are sick of me quoting him because he had this great line that all ai does is answer the questions but it's up to us to ask the questions the human so the human is the master not the servant in this case but Anthony, going back to the, to the event because you know you've really wet wet the appetite there with some of the the, the nuggets there of AI etc at the event. But can we get to the details? So the event, when it is, you know, is it awesome. open to all, etc. etc. Yeah. So so the event is happening on the on Thursday the fourth of May. Um. So it's kicking off at at eight a.m. and we're hoping to finish at about four four thirty five p.m. Um. So it's happening in in Cork City Hall. Um, we we launched the ticket sales, let's say last month, they've been going extremely well. Um, and it is open to both members and non-members. And we've recently just launched a, a student ticket as well, based on the demand that we are seeing. I think it's important that we can kind of bring, uh, I suppose, let's say bring that that cohort of, of students as well to the event, right? Because it's such an important um, such, such an important group as well to have at the event. Yeah, and we'll, we'll deploy an AI to spot if somebody's a student or not at the event. The Terminator. We actually deployed the Terminator we've been working on in Johnson Controls. That's, you know far too much about us. <laughs> this interview's over. Skynet is aware. Absolutely. Skynet is aware. All right, Anthony. Well, listen, that's great. So Thursday, 4th of May at 8 a.m. in in, uh, in Cork uh, is the event. And uh, I, I'll be there, obviously, myself. I look forward to it and look forward to hopefully catching up with a few of the speakers and maybe doing a few interviews for the show. So it's Fantastic. been a pleasure talking to you, Anthony O'Callaghan, Director of Analytics and Artificial Intelligence with Johnson Controls and Vice Chair with IT at Cork. Thanks for joining us. Fantastic. Thanks, Aidan.